God, I beg of you this morning that that would be our cry. I plead with you this morning, God, that for those of us, which is probably all of us, in some regard that that isn't our cry, God, that you would get us there. Where we could honestly say, God, it doesn't matter if I have absolutely nothing. If I have you, I have enough. And so God, I pray your presence this morning. God, I pray for those that are here that are hurting. I pray your presence. I pray for those that are here that are just doing incredibly well. I pray for your presence. God, would you meet with us? God, and may we truly, as Moses was, never be the same. It's in your beautiful, beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Sometimes I feel like we just get, it's easy to get in a funk, is it not? It's easy to just kind of go through this like, hey, we're here. This is just what we do. This is just what we do. And so that's why I wanted to just take a second and stop and really think about what we're doing. Um, Have you thought about 2010? Yeah? Have you thought back of what this past year held? I saw some... You know, some Facebook statuses, it was like, you know, did this in 2010, did this in 2000. Have you, have you thought through it? Have you thought about kind of some of the things that happened in this past year? For some of you, 2010 was an incredible year. Some incredible things happened. Some of you got married, some of you had some exciting things happen in your life. For some of you, 2010 brought on a whole lot of change, a whole lot of newness, a whole lot of transition. For some of you, 2010 was one of the hardest years of your life. I want to ask you this question. If 2010 represented the entire sum of your life, and you were to stand before the Lord based on what happened in 2010, Would you be content with that? Because a lot of times we just assume there's another. We just assume there's another. We just assume there's another. But let's say there's not another. And let's say 2010 is it. You alright with that? Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling that way. But based on what criteria would you evaluate that? Like, I used to, like, I remember when I was a little kid, I, I used to think, like, people talk about Jesus coming back. I'm like, hold up, man. I'm, I'm like, seven. Like, I want to, like, get married. Like, that's what I hear is awesome. Like, have you thought about that? Well, hold up. I, I want to I wanna do this. I, I want to do this. Well, what's your criteria that you evaluate 2010, is it 
some great purchases you made? Is it how much money you acquired in 2010, this big business endeavor? Maybe it's, um, man, that one guy you wanted, man, you got him. Maybe you went on some massive adventures that you can like, you know, you highlight, here's all the places I went. What a year. Is, is, that, is that how you evaluate? Maybe it's based on how much pain and difficulty was in your life in 2010 or how little, and that's your criteria. Here's the thing. The beauty of a new year gives us opportunity to look back and think about and evaluate what happened in the past, what God did in 2010, but also to begin to cast vision for what's next, what's ahead. Um, my office is most often in Starbucks, which is a good and bad thing. And so I, I meet a lot of people, especially when I go to the same ones over and over and over again, okay? Which is good, because I oftentimes get free coffee, which is good, because Starbucks is not cheap, right? Well, this past week, I was sitting in Starbucks, 270 in Graham, when I often sit at, and there's a guy there that's there all the time, okay? And I've had some little conversation with him, but nothing, nothing much, and this time, I walked up to him, and I, and I said, hey, what's your name? And he introduced himself, and his name's Marshall. And we just started talking, and I was kind of getting ready to leave. And Marshall's like, you mind an old man talking for a second? Which I almost laughed out loud when he said that. It's like, well, I really got to get going, but uh, he's like, well, it'll just take a second. It's one of those, like, he asked you a question, and he didn't really care what your response was. He knew where he was going and what he was going to say. Okay, and so... He just starts talking. He's like, how old are you? I said, 29. He's like, okay, let's say you're 30. Just round it off for, for, for round figures. I was like, okay, where's he going? Let's say you're 30, okay. So he's like, let's say you live to be 90. A third of your life is gone. Thanks for the encouragement. And, and then he goes on to say something like, and you add in how much you'll sleep and how much you'll work. That'll take up another third of your life. So technically, you have about a third of your life left. He's like, and can I tell you something from experience? He said, you need to make a list of everything you want to accomplish in your life and begin taking steps to meet those goals. He's like, because here's the thing. I've gotten to the age that I'm at. I don't, I don't know how old he is older than me. I've gotten to the age that I'm at, and I've realized that I haven't accomplished one thing I desired to accomplish in my life. And next time I see him, I'm going to be like, so what are you doing with what's, right, what's left? Because I didn't think of that then, but I was like, that's a great answer. I often, that happens to me all the time. Okay. And I, I know from other people who know this man that he's not a believer. And I was incredibly encouraged by this man. He encouraged me in the Lord in massive ways when I walked out that door. And it wasn't this. It wasn't just set out for your dreams and live it up. But the thought in my head was this. What's the vision that God has? What does he want to do? 
And how am I joining him in that? And, and, and I was incredibly challenged by Marshall. And I look forward to going back there and talking with him. But this morning I want to do something. I, I want to cast a vision for this year. I want to cast a vision for your life, if you'll let me. I want to cast a vision for my life. I want to cast a vision for this body of believers, for what 2011 and hopefully the rest of our lives will look like. God help us. I want to cast a vision, something to evaluate maybe the past, but to think forward to what's ahead. And here's the thing. I'm not going to give you a list of to-dos. Although, it will most definitely lead you to do some things, I pray. And and I'm not going to give you a list of goals to set and standards to meet. Although my prayer is that it will lead us to run hard in some very specific things. Will you let me do that this morning? I want you to turn to Exodus 33. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, been in church forever. It's first Sunday of the month, or first Sunday of the year. I should have known. Come into this, the whole hype. Talk it up, New Year, New Year's resolution. Here we go again. Um, I'm just going to leave now because I already know where you're going. Da 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 da. Um, Let me get through and we'll see. All right. Um, let me give you a little bit of background to Exodus 33. I'm going to back up to Exodus 32, just kind of tell you some things that are happening. In Exodus 32, you have Moses going up to Mount Sinai to receive the tablets of the Ten Commandments. While he is gone, some things happen. The Israelites are chilling out at the base of the mountain with Aaron, and they're impatient. They're like, Where's Moses? This dude's supposed to be leading us. We're just chilling here. We need some stuff to do. So they say, Aaron, we need a golden calf. That's a great idea. Let's make a golden calf. So, so somehow they convince Aaron to make this golden calf, and they begin to worship and, and do sacrifices to this image. Now God is up on the mountain and can see all and knows all, and he becomes furious. To the point, if you read in 32, Moses almost has to hold him back because he wants to pour out his wrath on the Israelites, which is a clear indication of this, that prayer really moves God's heart and God uses prayer to bring about his will. Okay, so Moses then comes down from the mountain after calming the Lord down, which is an interesting thought comes down from the mountain. He's got the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and he sees what God saw. It's it's as if Moses, I guess, couldn't see it. He sees what God saw, and, and the very same thing happens. He becomes furious to the point where here's what he does. He takes the tablets that according to chapter 31 were written with the finger of the living God. And he smashes him into pieces. You think he thought twice about that? Like, I don't know if I should do this, but 
this will go over well. They'll really see that I'm really mad if I smash these things. I don't know if you thought that through or not. I guess if you're mad, sometimes you're like, oh, what did I do, right? Um, And then he destroys the golden calf. He grinds it into powder. He puts it in water and he makes them drink it. I'm going to have to try that as a parent. That could go well or not. And then what happens? After he makes them drink it, he begins to plead before the Lord to forgive them. And what's interesting is, is here's what he says. He says, God, forgive them of their sin, but if you won't, get this. He says, Blot out my name from the book of life, not theirs. That's unreal. I mean, what a shepherd, what a leader that he would say that. God brings a plague to punish them. And then God tells Moses, I want you to take the Israelites to the promised land. Where, where I've told you to take them. I want you to take them to the land of Canaan. And we know this land to be a land of plenty, a land of much, a land flowing with milk and honey, which you're like, what in the world does that mean, okay? It means if you're a kid, it's like Disney World. Not Disneyland, Disney World, okay? Okay, it's glorious. It's everything you could want this side of heaven. It's like another Garden of Eden. Because I want you to take them there. Now, something interesting happens. He says, but here's the deal. I can't go with you. What do you mean, God? You can't go with me. He's like, if, if I go with you, I might destroy them because of my holiness and because they are a stiff-necked people, so I can't go. Now, chapter 33 Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too this nation as your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, Please, just hear the begging of him. Please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you can't see my face. 
for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. When I was in elementary school, I remember going to different functions, and it's those functions where as a, as a kid you had to go with your parents. Um, and like, you know, you kind of dreaded going with your parents. Um, however that, you know, you're, you guys remember that. Some of you are like still living in that, that deal. But anyway, um, so we'd, we'd go to these functions, and um, it'd be like a concert for like a, hot, like a Christmas concert or something. And I never went like for the actual event. You know why I went? Because of who I was going to see. Okay? There were friends there that I wanted to be with. There were, in fact, some girls that, um, you know, as, a, as an elementary kid, I was like, she's going to be there. I'm going. Yeah, Mom, you're not, you don't want to go? I want to go. This is going to be great. They're having this concert. You know, you wouldn't sit with your parents. Of course, and you'd sneak out the back and you'd hang out, out back. Um, with, with your friends, with, with, with those people. And it's like, if, if they're not going to be, hey, you going to that thing tonight? No, I'm not going. All right, I'm not going either then. Like, it's like, if, if you're there, I'm there. If she's going to be there, I'm going to be there. Right? Okay. Now, go back to Exodus. There's something really interesting happening in this text. Okay. Moses, I want to make a couple observations in thinking about this idea of God's presence. God, are you you going? Are you you going with us? Are you going to be there? A couple observations. This text is all about favor. We see five different instances in these short 12 verses where, where Moses pleads. Moses pleads for God's favor. If you're a parent, you'll resonate with this. It's like your kid saying, hey, dad, look at this. Hey, mom, did you see what I did? Dad, watch this. I get this all the time. They're wanting you to delight in them. They're wanting you to delight in who they are and what they've done. They want favor. They want approval. It's the same word. For grace. Same one. Moses is pleading for God's favor, reminding him, I know you by name. I'm yours. I need your favor. And then, verse 13, it says, Now therefore, if, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Here's what Moses is doing. He's equating here God's favor with his leading. Okay? So God, I have your favor, and I know I have your favor when I see you leading me. When I see you guiding me. When I see your your presence directing me. Here's how Matthew Henry put it. In the 17th century, divine direction is one of the best evidences of divine favor. 
By this we may know that we find grace in God's sight if we find grace in our hearts to guide and quicken us in the way of our duty. God's good work in us is the surest discovery of his good will towards us. So Moses begins to say, God, God, lead me here. God, I need your favor. Lead me. Guide me. I'm supposed to take this people to the promised land. How, how does that look? How does that work? Lead me. Show me. I have your favor in this. You've said you're not going. Like, that's a dilemma. Now, some of us, we'd be like, God's not going? Yes. Finally. He's off my back. But not Moses. Moses is like, God, I need you in this. I need your favor in this. If I don't have it, there's going to be problems. And then in verse 13, he goes on to say, Consider too, this nation, these Israelites that you've rescued, that you've redeemed, that you've called out of slavery, they're your people. So he reminds God of his covenant relationship with the Israelites. He reminds them, these are your people. You've rescued them. You've redeemed them. You've got to go with them. Is this unbelievable? A, a mortal man pleading with God. Now watch what happens. Verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you. I, th- I think that floored him. We're going to see that it floored him. Because God just got done saying, I can't go. I will destroy them. I can't go. Moses pleads with him. And God's like, I'll go. I don't mess with your theology. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And now Moses, look look what Moses does here. Moses is like, wait a second. Really? You're being serious? Because look at what he does in 15. And he said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What a statement. If your presence will not go with me. Here's what's crazy. Go back to this this image of this promised land. The land of Canaan. The the land flowing with milk and honey. It said something like grapes the size of your head. If you love grapes, you're like, yes. If you hate grapes, you're like, all right. And here's what Moses says. God, I don't care how good it is. I don't care how glorious, I don't care how promising it is. If you're not going, it ain't nothing. You ever thought about like that in regard to heaven? Like, What if God's not there? Do you still want to go? So why was this thought process in Moses' mind? Here's why. God's presence to him was everything. This is why, maybe to a fault, there was some hesitation on his part. 
I was like, God, I need your favor. God, I need your favor. You read the book of Exodus. God, are you in this? God, are you in this? I need your favor. If you're not with me, this is going to go bad. He didn't care about being a great leader. He didn't care about having great experiences. He didn't care about accomplishing much. All he cared about, God, are you with me? Is your presence with me? Friend of C.S. Lewis, George MacDonald, put it this way. Whatever a man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed all the more miserably. It's the same thing David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 11, when he said, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God, if you're not going to the promised land, there's nothing there. We don't believe that. Do we? I don't. God, whether he comes or not, I'm good. I'm all right. God, whether you're in this church or not, we got some good friends. We got some good fun. We like to eat. We like to hang out. We'll be all right. Oh, God, help us. No. We're done. We're done. If God isn't here, we're done. If God doesn't dwell in your home, you're done. If God doesn't dwell in your marriage, if God doesn't dwell in your friendships, if God doesn't dwell in your job, it's going to go bad. And it might anyway. But if he's there, Moses says, it's enough. David wrote a few chapters later in chapter 28. He says this of Psalms. I pray to you, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Do you track with that? Do, do you hear the weight of that? God, I'm pleading with you right now. You've got to go with us. You've got to go with us. You have to be in who I am and what I do, not till December of 2011, but right now, before I walk out those doors, before I get up and respond, before I take the Lord's Supper. Before I think my next thought, God, if you don't hear me, I might as well be done. Why was God's presence so important to Moses? Here's why God's presence was a mark of divine favor and uniqueness. This is huge. Stay with me. Verse 16. For how shall it be known if I have found favor in your sight? So Moses is like, God, how do I know? How do I know if you're in this? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Here's the thing there's one thing that makes you different from your coworkers, 
from your friends at school, from your neighbors. And get this, it's not God stamped his image on you. You know why? Because every human being on the face of the earth is created in the image of God. There's one thing that makes you different. It's God's presence in your life. That's it. That is it. Are you different? Is God's presence in your life? Or are you just like the world? And my fear this morning is that some of you are okay with just being like the world. Some of you are okay with not being distinct from the world. There's times when I'm okay with not being different from the world. It's like I want to fit in. It's like, no, I've called you by name. You are mine. I want to dwell in your life. So here's a question for you. Here, here, here it is. If I could sum it up in this. Here, here's a question that you should write on your mirror. Every mirror you own. Write this question on there. God, are you in this? That's it. God, are you in this? Listen, if he says no, run as far as you can, as fast as you can. Because you know what we do? We're like, well, maybe you didn't mean that. And we begin to rationalize and we begin to think, no, God, are you in this? It's an incredible job. God, are you in it? God, are you in this purchase? How I spend my money? Are you in how I'm loving my spouse? Are you in how I'm raising my kids? God, are you in these friendships? Are you here? God, are you dwelling with me when I'm alone and no one is around? And no one knows where I'm at or what I'm doing? Are you in this relationship with my boyfriend, with my girlfriend. I don't care how hot she is or how hot he is. God, are you in it? So here's the last question. Because you're like, okay, how? Okay, I'm on board. I'm, I'm, I'm game for the vision. Glad to hear that. How? How in the heck does this work? I want to give you a posture. I want to end with simply giving you a posture. And this isn't a posture physically. It can be. And I pray it will be. But primarily, this is a posture of your heart. And a posture of your mind. And this is it. Right here. Right there. God, how do I know if you're in this? Right there. It's a posture of your heart. Because what you can do is right now I can grab this chair and I can get on my knees like this and my heart not be in it and my posture look like this and it'd be meaningless. 
So you can actually not get on your knees and walk around and drive and have conversation with people and go to work and go to school, but yet your posture is like this. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Some of you right now are at an incredibly difficult place in your life. And you're begging God. God, get me out of this. 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 What if God says, I'll get you out of it, but I'm not going. Where you find me is in this mess. You alright with that? Are you gone? Yes, I'm free. I'm free. How do you define freedom? Because you're in bondage now. God's not going with you. You might as well die. So, before we say, how in the world do we maintain this posture for an entire year? Don't think that way. Say, how in the world do I maintain this posture between now and two minutes from now? How in the world do I maintain this posture to get me to lunch, to get me through the end of today? Forget about December. I'm talking about now. And you know how you do it? You know the way this works? The thing I pray most often is this. God, you got to do this in me because I don't have it. God, you got to do this in me because I don't have it. And so I don't know where you stand today. I don't know what's going on in your mind. What are your desires? Is your prayer, God, if you're not in this, I'm not in this. There are some very specific and tangible ways that we want to help you as a church in this. Okay, in, in 2011, as a church, we're going to go through Oswald Chambers' Mount Most First Highest. And so I encourage you, there's a Facebook page you can like. There's a Twitter account you can follow. Go with us through it. As we run hard after the Lord, as we say, God, your presence must go with us. Figure out how to spend time with the Lord, how to get in the Word, how to get accountability in your life. On the back table, there are some booklets that say, Give Back. They look like this. And there's 15 or so tangible ways in this booklet to get out of your house, to get out of your comfort zone, and go serve your community. This is for you. Take one. What does it look like for you? What does 2011 hold? What does today hold? Hopefully more of Him. Let's pray. Papa, we run to You. And when we don't, we beg that You would lead us to do so. Papa, we get on our faces. We get on our knees. We run hard after you right now in this moment. God, 
and always. And God, when we don't, will you gently and lovingly call us back and remind us of who you are. God, might our posture this day and forever be a posture of begging you to be near and to be present. God, all we need is you. Have your way, Lord. In Christ's name.